unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and we will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Understand it, 
And this is not comforting, right? This is not comforting at all. We're going to come back as grass? Like, what, what is this? Um, and, and I see it not just in the movie, but in our culture, too. We, we say similar things. Like, death is just a part of life. It's just a part of life. We're all going to experience it. But, it. but it's cosmetic. Those statements and those thoughts are really just like lipstick on a skeleton. It tries to make it look pretty, but it actually makes it look more hideous. And I hear it around from um, neighbors, and, and I hear it around from people that, well, it's just a part of life. It's just kind of this circle of life. It just doesn't satisfy my soul. And if you've seen Lion King, that statement didn't satisfy Simba's soul either, right? Because, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, Simba's father dies. And as his father dies, Simba doesn't jump down into the valley singing the circle of life, right? No, he doesn't. He comes down with, with tears and weeping. And when, when we watch that scene, we almost want to cry also because it's, it's sad. It's not a part of life. It's a perversion of life. What I love about this passage in John chapter 11 is we see the king of life. We see Jesus coming face to face with death. And he doesn't say, well, death is just a part of life. No, Jesus sees it's a perversion of life. And in the midst of it, he brings comfort and he conquers. Those are the two things I want us to see in this text, that Jesus is the comforter and the conqueror. So we'll start in verse 17 of John chapter 11. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. You guys know Lazarus. This was a good friend of Jesus who has died. And Jesus has come now, four days later. Verse 18. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Amen. When she said when when she had said this, she went to call her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were there with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary had came to where Jesus was, she saw him, and she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, 
and the Jews who had come with her also believed. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, come, Lord, and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and there was a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, he's been there. And there's going to be an odor because he's been there four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you, if you believe, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Take a moment right now just to silently pray and ask that God would speak to you this morning through his word. Father God, we need to hear from you this morning. We started a new year, but Lord, you are ancient of days. You've seen every year that has come to pass from the very beginning. Lord, you are the beginning and the end. Lord, you are the resurrection and the life. And so, Lord, we need you to stir our hearts and to move in our lives today. Lord, may what we do today echo through this week. It's in Christ's great and holy name. That I pray. Amen. Amen. So in this text, I just want you to see two things. Very simple, but very profound things. And the first thing I want us to see in this text is that Jesus is the great comforter. Jesus is the great comforter. In this text, you see two key characters. You see Mary and Martha. Now, they're in the same situation. Their brother has died. And they're mourning and weeping. You see them say the same statement. They're from the same family. They have a lot of things in common. But you look at Jesus, the great comforter, and he responds very differently to Martha and Mary. And that's the kind of comforter we have in Christ. Look at verse 21 again. Look what Martha says. She says, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Martha rushes out to Jesus, and she's disappointed. If you read a little bit earlier in this chapter, you see she says, they send this letter to Jesus. Hey, our brother is sick. If you'll get here quick enough, then you can heal him. And what's really interesting is you actually see previously in this story that Jesus actually stays where he is a few more days. And then Lazarus dies, and so she's disappointed. She's like, Jesus... We sent word you could have been here and you weren't here. Why weren't you here to help, Jesus? But what I love is in the middle of her disappointment, she also has persistent faith. She has persistent faith. 
Because she says to Jesus, if you had been here, you wouldn't have died. But I even believe in this moment, in the midst of my disappointment, that whatever you ask of the Father, he will give you. Now, Jesus could have said a lot of different things to Martha in this moment. A lot of different things. But being the great comforter and knowing Martha's heart, he knows what she needs more than anything is truth in this moment. So what does Jesus say to her? In verse 23, he says, your brother will rise again. So Jesus gives her this good, theologically rich truth, which is great. And Martha responds with this persistent faith again. And she says, well, I know that one day, when all things are made new, I, I know at the resurrection one day he'll be brought back. But what about today? And Jesus takes this truth and makes it extremely <clears throat> personal. Don't miss it. Look what Jesus says in verse 25. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Don't miss it. Jesus didn't say, I'm a great healer. I'm a great teacher. I'm a great worker. He could have said all those things. All those things were true. But what does he say? I am the resurrection and the life. And that's what we need, right? In the middle of our disappointment and frustration and suffering and loss, we need the theological truth. But what we need is the personal touch that goes with it. And that's what Jesus does. He says, there, there will be a resurrection. But guess what? I am that resurrection. The theological truth with the personal touch to it. That's what our hearts need. You guys have experienced it as you've gone through hard times where people that love you dearly will come to you and just say biblical truth that you need to hear and that I need to hear at times. But we need the one more step. We need that personal touch of Jesus. And that's what he brings to Martha in this moment because he and he alone is the great comforter. And then he connects this personal truth and this personal nature into the places of our everyday reality and our everyday life. Because in verse 25, he expounds it. He, he, he talks about this tension that this truth brings because he says in verse 25, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And I'm thankful Jesus kind of lays this out there for us because isn't this a tension that we bear, right? We hear about everlasting life and eternal life, and we're like, wait a second. But didn't, didn't the people, didn't people die? Like, didn't the guy who wrote this letter and walked with Jesus, like, isn't this guy dead now? And aren't, aren't people that we know that, that loved Jesus and faithfully followed him, aren't they also dead now? And as you read the pages of scripture, death is so much deeper than a flat line of virus. I don't know if it's Hollywood, I don't know what it is, but there's something in our minds that thinks that death is just a flat line of violence and that, that's all it is. There's something much, much worse than a flat line of violence. And what death really is, if you trace it all the way back to the garden, what death really is, is a separation from God. And why is that death? Because God is the giver of life. He's the one in, in which all good things that we enjoy come from. Everything.
everything that we enjoy, from the breath we breathe to the sunset we watch go down to the family that we enjoy, all of those are gifts from God that His grace has given us. And so death is really being separated from God. That's really what hell is. It's being separated from all that is good in this world. All that is good in God. And so Jesus helps us to understand this tension. Yeah, we may die, but we will always experience life. Because it is found in him, the God of all life. And later on in the Gospel of John, chapter 17... Jesus says, this is eternal life. Not that we'll go to heaven one day, but he says, this is eternal life, that they know me. Eternal life starts now. Eternal life doesn't start one day when we die and we go to heaven. No, it starts in this moment right now. And that's the truth that we need for our souls. And it's the truth that we need in the midst of loss and suffering tough truth. It's a difficult tension. But it's one that we need for our lives. When Jesus looks at Martha in this moment, he asks her a question. A very important question for you and for me to consider. He says, whoever believes in me, believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And then in verse 26, he looks at her and says, do you believe this. Do you believe this? Because you will never experience the resurrection of life if you do not believe this. And this question is crucial for Martha in this moment because she has asked something from Jesus and Jesus said no or he said later in this moment to her. There's a lot of times we pray and we ask things of Jesus, and he responds to us in the same way and says, no, or later. But in that moment, he still looks at us and says, but do you still believe? Do you follow Christ just because he answers every prayer the way you desire for him to answer it? Or do you believe because of who he is, that he is the resurrection and the life, and the one that can bring comfort to your very soul and heart? Do you believe? Look how Martha responds in verse 27. She says to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. This is central to this passage. She says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, come to save us from our sins. You're the Son of God who has come down into this world. This is a deep, rich truth that brought comfort to Martha. And she takes this and she runs to Mary. She runs to Mary and she says, you have to come talk to Jesus. You have to come see this great comforter. Now with Mary in this text, she's a little more than disappointed. When you read it, it's almost like she's depressed. Like she's sitting here with other people who are weeping and crying with her. And when she gets up to go, they assume she's going back to the tomb again to weep and to pray and to cry. Like Mary's in the midst of depression with the loss of her brother. And yet when she hears Jesus calling, 
it says that she arose quickly and she ran to him. She arose quickly and ran to him. Now we can read past this verse in verse 29 really quickly and miss this, but when it says she arose quickly is beautiful to me. Because her eyes would have been red and puffy from tears and weeping. Her hair would have probably been disheveled, all matted. You know, she wouldn't have been in her, her best form in this time because she's been grieving. It's been a difficult time. And yet she doesn't try to clean herself up before she comes to Jesus. It says she arose and ran quickly to Jesus. Jesus' love doesn't change when you're in your Sunday best. When your life is perfect, Jesus' love is consistent and steadfast always. And Mary knew that. So she comes to Jesus with her weeping and her tears and her crying. And she says the same question that her sister said. Look at verse 32. Maybe even circle it or make a line back to it, but look at what she says to Jesus in verse 32. She comes and she falls at his feet. And she says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Now, Jesus could have responded with a theological truth again, right? Jesus could have said, well, I am the resurrection and the life. Like, be comforted with that truth. But because he's the perfect comforter, he looks at Mary and where she is and knows what she needs more than anything else. And what does Jesus do? Verse 33, he saw her weeping and was deeply moved. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. Two sisters, same situation, same question. And the comforter responds two different ways because he knows what they need more than anyone else. He wept. And for those of you that are starting your New, Year, New Year's resolutions and you're trying to memorize more scripture, scripture, verse 35 is a great passage to start on. <laughs> Get your New Year's started right. Just two words. Shortest passage in all of the Bible. But Jesus wept. And I joke about that, but this is a great verse to memorize because it's a powerful verse. <clears throat> because there is no other God in all other world religions that we see weeping with his people. We don't see it. Every other world religion says, clean yourself up, and once you're clean, then come to me, and then maybe I'll accept you, and maybe I won't. But what we see with Jesus is he left his gated community in heaven where people served him and he humbled himself and he came down to earth to serve you and I, to die in our place for our sins and to weep with us in our suffering and in our pain. This is the God that we see that you won't find anywhere else in the world. He's weeping with her. He weeps with us. And it's so interesting here because why is Jesus weeping with her? Because he's know, he knows he's going to heal Lazarus, right? Like, why didn't he just skip past that to healing Lazarus and then move on in the story? Well, he's weeping in this moment, one, to bring comfort to Mary, but two, 
Because Jesus feels the same thing you and I feel when we're around death. When we go to a funeral, we experience death. What we realize is that death is not a friend. Death is an enemy. When sin entered the world, the atomic bomb of sin blew up, and the fallout from that is death. And Jesus knows that, and he sees that right here. Death is not our friend that we run to for freedom. Rather, it's our coffin for freedom unless we know Christ. And if we know Christ, we find comfort in the midst of loss and in the midst of pain. Jesus is speaking to Martha. He's weeping with Mary. All of this because he is the great comforter. But what I love about both these sisters is they both ran to Christ in the midst of their disappointment and depression. Where do you run to? Where do I run to? In the midst of disappointment and depression. Should be running to Christ, the only one. New York Times did a, uh, a recent study where they found out that most people that buy an advice, not quite that, we'll get to that in just a second, but a New York, uh, New York Times newspaper did a study, and they said that most people that are going to buy new devices over Christmas, whether that be uh, a washing machine or a new cell phone or uh, whatever it might be, that people that buy those and have issues or problems with them never go back to the maker to ask them to fix it or to help them to understand what the problem is, they actually will go to 10 friends and complain to their 10 friends about this new device that they, they were given or they purchased. Which is so ironic because none of those 10 friends can fix it, right? <laughs> like you're going and you're complaining about these issues, but they can't fix them. But we do the same thing with our lives. When things are broken and they're not the way they should be, we run and we complain to others when we should be running to Jesus like Mary and Martha did, seeing him as the great comforter. Because when we complain about our circumstances, but we don't run to God, what we proclaim to the world is that our God is not relevant. We proclaim our God is not relevant because he can't fix things. When we look at our our Government, or we look at our jobs, or we complain about our finances, or we complain about being single, all these different things. But we're complaining outwards instead of going to God and realizing He's a sovereign God who is good and is for my good and is working in all of these things. What we're saying is our God is not relevant. And if we're not looking to God, then when people look at us, they won't see Him. If we're not looking to Him, and when others look at us, they will not see him. We have to look to God. Scripture says, cast all of your cares, all your anxieties upon him, for he cares for you. <coughs> Jesus wants us to bring all of our cares and our anxieties and our stresses and our worries because he cares for us. From the smallest of things to the biggest of things. Jesus is our comforter that says, bring all of these to me. I know some of you have spirits that are downcast right now. You may be struggling. Maybe your heart feels very hard or cold, frozen. What we need to know is that Jesus is the one that can thaw our hearts. He 
He's the one that can dissolve that stone and make us soft again. So we have to run to Jesus. And when we run to Jesus, others will see his goodness through us. But I'm glad Jesus didn't stop there. He didn't just come and bring comfort, pats on the back, cry, and move on. No, Jesus saw the problem of death, and he came to fix it. Second thing is that Jesus is our glorious conqueror. Jesus is our glorious conqueror. Verse 38 says that Jesus was deeply moved. Verse 33, same word again, that he was deeply moved in his spirit, greatly troubled. This word is a word that they would use at that time to talk about a bull that was angry. A bull that would like be pawing at the ground, ready to charge. He's deeply moved. Jesus is angry at this moment. But why, why is Jesus angry? Like, he, he's not angry at Mary. I mean, he's weeping with her, and he's, he's not angry at Martha, right? Because he just gave her this good theological <laughs> truth, and she's believing in it. So, like, why is Jesus angry in this moment? Why is he so mad? Because he sees the effect of sin and death in Lazarus' life. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus up. But that Lazarus is one day going to go back into the tomb because of sin and death. Which has always baffled me about this story because there had been a conversation with God the Father talking to Lazarus about, yeah, we're going to send you back down there. Because, like, I wouldn't want to go back and be like, no, 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 I'm good right here, I'm good. No, we need to send you back. Because Jesus is going to raise you from the dead to show that he is the glorious conqueror over death. That he's the one that they, they can find hope in. That he really is the resurrection and the life. So Jesus knows that Lazarus one day will go back into the tomb. And the only way that Jesus can free Lazarus, can free us from going into the tomb forever, is that Jesus would have to enter that tomb for us. He would have to enter that tomb for us. And unlike Lazarus, Jesus would resurrect and never go back. He would never go back into that tomb because he came to bring us life and life everlasting. So in this moment when he gives us a, a picture, a preview of what his resurrection is going to look like as he resurrects Lazarus, I love how he does it. He doesn't do it with medicine. He doesn't do it with a surgery. He does it with a word and a prayer. A word and a prayer. And then he speaks, Lazarus, come out. Which just seems odd when you're talking to a dead man, unless the dead man actually listens, which is exactly what happened. Jesus spoke and Lazarus came forth. And I believe that Jesus could have whispered this. It says he spoke loudly, but I think he could have whispered it, Lazarus, come out. I think Lazarus would have come out of the tomb. Because that's the kind of power we have in our conquering king. This is the picture of the resurrection that we have. And this is what our world longs for. This is what our world longs for. So look at this picture from Time Magazine. Um, this was this year. This is, not recent. this is recent, February. But this, it says this baby could live to be 142 years old. 
And it's almost humorous. It's like 142 years old, but everybody's working right now to extend life. They're trying to make life longer. If we make life longer, and I'm all for the value of life is huge. I want to extend life. But if we make life longer and people don't know Jesus, then they're not really experiencing life. That's really like looking at an inmate on death row and saying, well, you're going to be incarcerated for a little bit longer. Well, I still have to die. That doesn't help anything. Guys, when we preach the gospel, we share the gospel with others, we're, we're speaking to people who are hungry for longer life. And Jesus doesn't just say live longer. He says live forever. Amen. He offers eternal life to us. So we're not, when we share the gospel, we're not giving a, a history of facts to people, although they are true. What we are is we're offering them eternal life, which their souls long for, which we all long for, which we all need. And it's found in Christ, in Christ alone. So Christianity does not say live longer. It says live forever through Jesus Christ, for he is the resurrection and the life. And we have to, have to take that to our neighborhoods and our families and our workplaces because they desperately need to know of this everlasting life found in Jesus Christ. I close with this. My little girl who's four years old, I had a dream, um, this is about a month ago now, but I had a dream that maybe you guys have had those dreams where they're so vivid and so clear, they seem real in the moment, right? Well, I had one of those dreams that my little girl, Haley, had died. And I remember it just so vividly, like in my dream, weeping and crying in my dream. And then I remember waking up the next morning and hearing her across the hall playing in her room. And in that moment, I just lay in bed. I'm just glorying in the moment. My daughter's okay. My daughter's alive. And I think in that moment that this is a small picture of what we will experience when we're in heaven. This is a small picture of what those who believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, get to experience for all of eternity. Where not just our sin will be separated as far as east is from the west, but our sorrow and our suffering and our pain will be separated as far as east is from the west. Amen. So today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't believe in him yet, you don't know what that means to believe in him, you just have questions. I'm going to come down front and I want to give you a chance to come and ask questions or have somebody to pray for you. So as we take this time Pray. Pray for those that you know don't know Christ. If you do know Christ, pray for them. If you don't, this is your moment to come and to receive it. Let's pray. God, thank you that through Christ you have made a way. Not just for longer life, but for everlasting life. And Lord, thank you that your word says that eternal life starts today. Lord, we praise you for those that know you already, but if there's someone here that has not trusted in you, that today they would start their everlasting life and that it would never end for all eternity. So God, may your kingdom come and your will be done here. In Christ's name.